Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Today I want to address something that I think all of us deal with at some point or another. And that something that we deal with is this. We know what we're supposed to say about God. We know what we're supposed to believe about God because we're told from the pulpit, from preachers, from, from things we read, who God is and, and how God acts and all those things. But in my uh, experience and in my judgment, many of us, when we're asked to describe God, we describe a God with our mouth that we don't really believe in our hearts. And so there is a disconnect between what we proclaim about God and what we genuinely believe about God. Now, all of us would agree God is a loving God, right? But when we deal with God, let me say it differently. When we approach God, do we approach Him as a loving God or do we approach Him as a, as a holy or a hard or a tough or a separate or a, a, a whatever other word we want to use. So does that make sense? So here's how you know if you believe what you actually say when it comes to the character and the attributes of God. You know if you believe it based on how you pray regularly. Let me, let me say that differently. You know it based on how you approach God through prayer. How you approach God is an indicator of how you see God. And the difference between what we publicly say about God and what we, spe- and what we believe about God is often very, very big. And here's what we say. Well, I know God is this, but when it comes to me, He's this. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a Southern, ba- a Southern Baptist churches all my life. And so the majority of my life, the preaching that I heard... Was, was I heard about God's love, I heard about His goodness, I heard about His grace, I heard about all those good attributes, but, but there was a very heavy emphasis on the judgment and the justice and the holiness of, and, the, and the, the righteousness of God. Anybody else have that experience besides me? And so what happens is, because of the content that I have been exposed to and because of my own viewpoint, my own lens of life, the tendency is to see God as, an, uh, as separate and as out there rather than right here. And this morning, my entire goal is this, is for you to see God differently. And how, do we, how are we supposed to see God? Well, let's ask God, just like Moses did. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. How are we supposed to see God? Now, I want to tell you just right at the beginning here that I have got so many thoughts in my head and in my heart that that I I get frustrated because trying to put into human words uh, the, the infinite nature of God is just so very difficult. So, so words are very definitive, but, but when it comes to God, God, is, God can't just say, I am this, and, and He just can't be described with a word or even with some words. I mean, that's why when, when we have the names for God, it's not just one name. It's multiple names because no single name is fully definitive of all that He is. 
So the frustration this morning is that you might, you might uh, uh, hear what I'm saying, but, but not actually hear what I'm saying, because I may say a lot. So I want you to give me a little grace, okay? In Exodus chapter 34, Moses is about to experience the presence of God. And I'm not just talking about a worship service experience. I'm talking about face-to-face with God Almighty, right in the midst of, of the God of the universe. And he is going to experience this, and God is going to say to Moses, this is who I am. So it's as if Moses said, God, who are you? He actually said that in this way in chapter 33, show me your glory, which is in a sense is, who are you? The glory of God is the indescribable uh, person and nature and character of God. And so when Moses says, show me your glory, he's saying, I don't want to know what I think about you. I want to know who you say you are, right? But now here's an interesting backdrop to this, to this uh, uh, meeting that God has. The backdrop is, if you remember, if you go back just one chapter, um, into chapter 32 and 33, Moses had the Ten Commandments. He comes down off the mountain. When he gets down off the mountain of spending several days with God, he has these stone tablets, and he sees that the people of Israel are worshiping a golden calf. And they're dancing and they're celebrating this idol. And meanwhile, God is on the mountain with Moses giving the Ten Commandments. That's the, the things that God sees as most holy. And so, so Moses comes down and he sees this great sin. And he slams the plates down or the, the, the commandments down on the ground. They shatter into pieces. And then there's judgment that comes upon the people. So the next chapter, God is with Moses, and Moses said, Lord, I, I want to know that you're with us. And I think what he's thinking is, look, we have just sinned so greatly. We have rejected you in such a, such a hard manner. We have, we have pushed you so far to the edge. Can you ever forgive us? Will you, will you still go with us? Please don't send us out unless you go with us. He says, will you show me your glory? Then in chapter 34, here's the scene. God says to Moses, Moses, get some tablets and meet me on the mountain. So Moses takes some tablets and he chisels them out and he's carrying these two giant stones. Now, I don't know how big they were, but I know that stone is not light. I want you to imagine the one-by-one pavers, okay? The the one-by-one pavers that are about two inches thick. I want you to pick two of those up in your hand and let's imagine that's what he's carrying up this mountain. So he's walking up to Mount Sinai and he's walking up carrying the law. The, the rules, if you will. This is how you are to live. Now, we know in the New Testament, Jesus said, look, the law is all about two things, loving God, loving your neighbor. But for the, for the Israelites, they didn't quite get that. And so these essentially were the, the rules for living. Just do these ten things and everything you do and all is good. Now, here's the reason that's important. Because Moses is walking up to meet with God so that God can say, this is who I am And the backdrop is he's carrying the rules that were given by God. Now, what does that say to you in your mind? What kind of picture do you have? Well, I have the picture of a judge. 
I have a picture of this mighty being who is, who is on his throne. Yes, you may enter my presence. You know, whatever. I have this, this, this figure of power and this figure of, of greatness and, and the, you know, all-knowing and, and really an unapproachable God. That, that's, that's in my mind what I have when, when I put this scene together. So he approaches, uh, uh, the, he comes up the mountain carrying the rules And the Bible says that the Lord passed by and made his presence with Moses. And as he passed by, he proclaimed himself. In chapter 34, verse 4, the scripture says, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And in verse 6, And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. Now, he begins by saying his own name. The Lord, the Lord. He said it twice. Why twice? Well, in traditional uh, Hebrew culture, if you you say it twice, there's more of a personal nature. There's a relational aspect to it. But listen to what he says. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, which means I am, I will be. But it's even deeper than that. There's a causation to it. So I am, The one who formed the heavens and the earth and the mountains and the moon and the stars. And I will be forever and ever and ever the king and creator of all the universe. Do you see the majesty of this? He's proclaiming himself as truly the sovereign God of the entire universe. There is none like him. Now, now so far my picture is pretty correct because this is the king of all. This is is God himself right in front of Moses, right? Right? But then he does something totally unexpected for this kind of a king. Not even a king. He does something. Jesus is king. God is God. He does something totally unpredictable. He doesn't declare himself like you and I often approach him. See, we still, if we're being really honest, now not everybody, but many of us in this room, we approach God as a judge. We approach God as one who is keeping mark of how we have done based on His rules. We approach God with with a, a joyful heart, happiness, if we've done well. We approach Him with fear and trembling if we have strayed from the mark. And if I'm, if I'm correct, which I think I am, many of us in this room are approaching God based on the feeling of, of whether or not we measured up to his standard. And so our prayers are based on that. Our, our, uh, our approach is based on that. And it is a very uh, conditional kind of relationship. God loves me more today because I've been really good this week. God really loves me because I have been faithful in sharing his story this week. Man, God, I know God loves me, but His love is a little bit less. I just don't feel very close. He, he's not happy with me because this week I sinned or this week I, I strayed or whatever. And so we have such a relational approach to God that we come to Him like, like we're carrying our own stones and we're saying, Lord, these are the rules and I haven't done so good this week. Or we're saying, Lord, I'm not sure how I did this week. And here's what God says. 
He says, I, I'm going to proclaim myself to Moses. I'm going to proclaim myself to you. I am the I am. I am and I always will be. I am compassionate. That blows me away. His first word is not judge. His first word is not holy. His first word is not righteous. His first word is not king. His first word is not power. His first word of the description of himself is compassionate. So what is compassion in in terms of, of God? It is a divine tenderness. Do you see the the contrast? A divine tenderness. It is the God of all creation wrapping Himself around you. Saying to you, I'm here. Now remember, He says, I am compassionate even in the midst of the great sin of the people. And by saying the first word compassionate, he gives us a glimpse into the true character of his heart. But truthfully, how many of us see God as compassionate first? I would say sometimes we do, but most of the time we don't. Maybe you do, but for most of us, our first thought of God is not compassion. See, because we, we know there's scripture that says the fear of the Lord is beginning all wisdom. We know that the scripture says we're to approach the high and holy mountain with fear and trust. We, we know all this stuff, and so that's what we placed first in the list. But God says, no, no, you've missed it. I am first and foremost compassionate. I have a divine tenderness that is expressed to my creation. And we look at this and we say, oh, that's a, that's a weak God. Oh, no. That's a strong God. He says, I am compassionate. And then the second word, I am gracious. So you put those two words together. You have the the, the divine tenderness of God and you have the graciousness, which is the acts of God that are undeserved, freely and liberally given just because he wants to. But see, we still live in a performance-based relationship, don't we? We think that God blesses us when we're obedient. He doesn't bless us when we're not obedient. He's gracious to us when we're good. He's, you know, I mean, we, after all, basically we see God as Santa. You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout, I'm telling you. Is that the right song? No, it's not the right song. What's the song I'm thinking of? Okay, it is a song. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows... You better be bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That is our picture of God. And that's not who God says He is. Let that sink in for a moment. Let's have a pregnant pause. God is compassionate. Divinely tender. He is gracious. Choosing to give to those who don't deserve or haven't earned anything. He gives gifts and he gives himself. And then the third word, slow to anger. 
So, so far in this description of himself, God says, I am compassionate, I am gracious, I am slow to anger. And we think that he's quick to anger. If you're like most believers, you think that God is on the edge of his throne just waiting for you to screw up. And he's going, okay, yeah, I know you're good for now, but you, I know you. I know you. Oh, well, just give it a few moments. And we think that he's keeping the list and he's going, ah, see, there you are. Slow to anger means there is great restraint on God's part. He is not wanting you to mess up. He is patient in the midst of your mess ups. He is a divine tenderness towards us. And with that divine tenderness, he expresses that through graciousness, through kindness, through, through his gifts to us. And even in the midst of that, he is still slow to anger. Not hot-tempered, not, not full of rage, not even remotely uh, 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 filled with rage. Rage is not a part of God. And yet, what picture do we have of God? And then the fourth one, abounding in love. Now, that word abounding is a word that is a quantitative word. It says he is full of, he is completely of, he is, he is liberally uh, enriched with love, but it's a different kind of love. It's a love that is a unique love that only can be described through and from and by God. It's the one I talked about last, year, last week, the Hesed love. It's actually a guttural, so it's sometimes C-H-E-S-E-D, and sometimes it's H-E-S-E-D. Hesed love is the Hebrew word for a love that is a loyal, steadfast love. Let me make it clear to you. It's a love that is independent of you or your works. It's God saying, I love you, period. Regardless of what you did, regardless of where you've been, regardless of your hate for me, I love you, period. And you cannot change that. It's a good place to say amen. And yet we live our life under this cloud of fear, thinking that the almighty, all-holy, all, all-divine all God is just up there, and there's always, a there's always a separateness between us. And we just, we just come before Him and, you know, I know you love me, but there's no but. There is no but. Romans 8.38 tells us, that neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor the present, nor the future, nor anything in all creation can separate us from the love of God. Which means nothing you can do or think or say will break His love for you. We have this picture most clearly in the book of Hosea. It's when this woman named Gomer is married by the prophet Hosea. God says to, to, to Hosea, He says, Hosea, go down to the street corner and marry a prostitute. That's what he says. He finds his prostitute and God says, I want you to love her unconditionally. And every time she strays, I want you to wrap your arms around her and pull her back. And I want you to demonstrate an unearned, uh, uh, undesired even love. And God says, that is the way I love my people. And so we have compassionate. God says, you want to know who I am? I am compassionate. 
I am gracious. I am slow to anger. I am filled to overflowing and abounding with a steadfast, loyal love that has nothing to do with your actions. And I am faithful. Those are the five characteristics God gives about himself. By the way, faithful doesn't mean he's faithful to you. It means he's faithful to his word. He's faithful to truth. He's faithful to who he is. And by, by, by consequence, you and I receive the benefit of that, right? I don't want a God who's faithful to me if that means that he breaks truth in order to do what I want him to do. So he's going to stay within himself to be faithful. And you and I are going to receive the blessing and benefit of that, right? So these five words, God says, you want to know who I am? That's who I am. You can wrap all of these five words up with one word. God is kind. Because you can't be truly kind without compassion. You can't be truly kind without graciousness. You can't be truly kind unless you're slow to anger. You can't be truly kind unless you have love. And you can't be truly kind Unless you're faithful. So out of this description of God himself, he says, I express myself to you through overwhelming kindness. Then he says, yet, I will not let the guilty go unpunished. And you see, here's the rub. I dare say that in today's pulpits, we hear one or the other. We hear God, is, God loves you and there's nothing you can do to separate, which means just do whatever you want, cheap grace, all that kind of stuff. Or on the other side, there's a very harsh, you've got to do right, you've got to live right, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And I want to say that that's not how God explained himself. God started by explaining himself in his, his perfect character and his perfect relationship towards you. And then he said, yet... I cannot just wink and cover up sin. So here's what that means. There is a standard that God has set, but the standard is, is, is not a list of rules for us to obey. It's more a description of how we're to live to be in right fellowship with God. In other words, all of those Ten Commandments, because they're summed up in those two different commandments, love God, love people, He's saying, this standard is about ultimately loving me and others. Does that make sense? But we flipped it around. We've looked at the standard as the, as the rule book, and we're, we're trying to meet the standard, but we're forgetting the whole point behind it. And so when God reveals himself with these five characteristics, he says, yet I won't let the guilty go unpunished. I won't just wink at sin, but my greatest desire is for relationship with my people. The scripture tells us that even the wicked receive the benefits of the character of God. You know, the Bible tells us that in Ezekiel, I think it's 33, God does not delight in the death of of the wicked. Let's put some names to that, shall we? God did not delight in the death of Saddam Hussein. God did not delight in the death of Fidel Castro. God did not delight in the death of Charles Manson or Ted Bundy. God did not delight in the death of uh, uh, Osama bin Laden. 
God did not delight in the death of, of anyone that you might fill in the blank, even though we oftentimes celebrate that much must be to God's brokenness. God forbid that we ever again celebrate the death of the wicked. I, I get it. I get it. But that's not the heart of God. See, God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come into eternal life. The greatest thing that would ever happen is when the brutally wicked would find forgiveness and find repentance and come into the, to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't want that. We're like Jonah. We want God to condemn and we want God to judge because they've earned that. They've deserved that. But folks, Jesus said that we have offended God. And see, we scale it. We go, yeah, but I didn't do that. And God says, look, all of them are equal when it comes to sin. You offend the law at one point. You've offended the law at every point. And so God kind of, you've heard it said this way, the, the foot of the cross, at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. And so we realize, when we realize that, we go, wow, God has forgiven me much, therefore I am to take on the character and the nature of Christ Jesus, which means not only do I think that and feel that and believe that and live that, but I must express that even to those who don't deserve it. So we're going to talk about how to do that later on uh, next, next week. But, but I wanted to lay the foundation this morning by simply lifting up the nature of who God is because we have a reason to be kind. The reasoning that we have is because God himself is kind. In Titus chapter 3, it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I would say to you, while there is a place for hellfire and brimstone preaching, while there is a place for hard talk and truthful talk, the majority of the time, it's our kindness towards people that will lead them towards repentance, not our judgment of people. Can I get a witness on that? We live in a cruel culture, a culture where it is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, do before you've been done unto, and there's, a, there's just a meanness and a coldness and a brutality. And the way the gospel shines forth in our culture is when God's people are different than everything else. It's the, uh, it, it's the young man. I hope you saw this. He's on a courtroom. Uh, 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 he's in the courtroom and he's testifying to the to the uh, 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 during the sentencing phase. There was a police officer that she shot his brother, and she was in the courtroom over here, and he was up on the stand, and he says these words: "I cannot hate you. I cannot wish for you pain or harm." He says, I forgive you, and the greatest thing that could ever happen in this moment is for you to trust Jesus Christ. And then he turns to the judge and shocks everybody. He says, can I come hug you? Can I do that? I need to do that. And you watch as the whole courtroom is stunned and in silence. He gets off of the seat, and he comes down, and the two of them embrace, and he's hugging his brother's murderer. And as they're doing that, she is weeping and sobbing, and he is saying to her, I forgive you. I love you. Now forget about what you think of the innocence or guilty of the whole thing. That picture right there is a description of how God acts to you and me every day. And it's what He calls us to do. 
every day. The world was truly freaked out by this. The world was going crazy. Who does this? Someone who's been bought by the blood of Jesus does this. Amen? Someone who's had a radical transformation of heart, who sees people the way God sees them and says, I cannot hate you because I am you, just looks different. And then the judge, the judge can't handle it. She's like, oh, I got to give you a Bible, right? Of course, ACLU, all they're going crazy. But listen, we saw a public display of God's grace unlike I think we've seen in years. If you go overseas and you see the persecuted church and you realize that they're being persecuted simply for their faith in Jesus Christ, the one thing that stands out amongst them that is totally strange to us is the amount of love and kindness that they show to their persecutors. And time after time after time, it is that kindness that leads the persecutors to repentance. It is not their willing to, it's not their toughness because they fight back. It's not them declaring their own justice. It's them saying, I know that God loves you. And no matter what you do to me, I love you too. I refuse to hate you. Church, this is the great call to the people of God in 2019, soon to be 2020. It's to love people with compassion, graciousness, slow to anger, hesed love, steadfast, loyal love, and faithfulness. If we do that, the world changes. So we have to reevaluate how we do things. We've got to reevaluate and simply ask the question, is this kind? I heard a statement this week that I think is just incredibly powerful, and it's in fact a statement that I think we should choose to live by. What God has done, excuse me, what others may do to me cannot be compared to what God has done for me. What others have done to me cannot compare to what God has done for me. Memorize that. Write that down. Put that in your heart. Because the next time you are tempted to respond with an eye for an eye, just remember what they have done to you cannot compare what God has done for you. And as you see God, not as, a, not as a righteous judge, but as a loving Father who's full of these things, you approach Him differently, and as a result, you are, are able to approach others differently. Now, this is especially different, difficult for those of us in professions that are hostile. I'm thinking particularly law enforcement, uh, maybe, maybe in the education realm, maybe in a public service realm. It's difficult for those of us who do that because we see the worst of humanity. But here's what I think. I think for those of us in that kind of profession, by the way, my profession is part of those kinds of professions, I see the worst of humanity. And here's what makes it even more difficult. 
I see people who should know better or whatever. And yet, but you know what? I'm never surprised when somebody comes to me and says, look, I, you're, you're not, you're, you're, this is going to shock you, but I'm, I'm this. I go, well, that doesn't shock me one bit. Because you're not the only person, the first person or the last person to come with that exact same issue. Here's what I think. I think God gives us an extra measure of grace in those situations. Do you think so? Because that's the only way we can handle it. I'll never forget. I learned something from my father. I learned a lot from my father, but I never forget him talking about how uh, he had to make difficult arrests. My father was law enforcement. He was a special agent with customs, so he dealt with uh, uh, international um, uh, uh, issues, money laundering, different things like that. And I'll never a lot of a lot of what his job turned into was was prosecuting and, and uh, 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 um, figuring out you know a, a lot of child porn because it was tra- it was traveling back and forth. So that fell under his responsibility at some point. And I'll never forget him saying on a couple of occasions, "Yeah, I, I had to arrest a pastor today, or I had to arrest a person that." that was a good person, just got caught in bad circumstances. He let himself go to a place he shouldn't have been. And as I heard, and as he was telling me about that, he was, he was sharing with me about how he was able to minister and to love them even in the midst of it, as opposed to just grabbing him, being harsh. Does that make sense? And I got to, I got to see and hear about grace when it was undeserved. And I pray that I will model my life and that you will model your life after the same principle. So next week we're going to talk about it. I don't want to jump ahead too much. But listen to what Matthew 5.17 says and then we'll close. I'm going to give you a chance to do something. Matthew 5.17 says this. Therefore, let your light so shine before men. Where is it? Uh, excuse me, 516, I, I said that. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Your shining light that will lead people to the Father is your kindness. That's what good deeds are. They're kindness. So to prepare your heart for next week, when we really unfold this, I'm going to ask that in this moment, as we have a time of invitation, you would allow God to start bringing to mind areas of kindness in your life. Areas that you are not kind or you're, you have a difficulty being kind. It might be a family relationship. It might be a, a friendship. It might be a circumstance. But I'm going to ask you to confront those areas of kindness today. And I recognize that you may not be ready or willing to just, to just you know, I choose to be kind. Maybe you are. I hope you are. But, but would you at least identify these areas in your life? Does that make sense? At least identify them. Probably it's going to be relational. And probably it's going to be in an area where you are humanly justified to not be kind. We acknowledge that. But remember, what someone has done to you cannot compare to what God has done for you. 
When we choose to be kind, not only are we choosing to be most like Christ Jesus, but we are choosing to be set free from the chains of the bondage of holding on to those things. Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? As you are... um, As you're asking God to help you to see those areas of kindness that that you need to start displaying. I want to talk to those in this room who are unsure of whether or not you are right with God. If you're unsure as to whether or not you are a child of God, whether or not you have a relationship with Him, can I just say to you that the kindness of God, even this in this moment, is being extended to you. His kindness is this. He doesn't want anyone to perish, not you particularly. His greatest expression of compassion divine tenderness was he sent, was when he sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could be right with God the Father it was the only way and because he paid that price on the cross It is by grace that you are saved through faith, not of your works. In this moment, if you are far from God, if you don't have a relationship with Him, can I invite you even now to give your life to Him? Say to Him, God, I know that my sin condemns me. And I know that I don't deserve your love. But I place my faith in you. I trust in what Jesus Christ has done. And even though I don't understand it all, I believe that you died and rose again to make me right with you. So I give you my life and I ask your forgiveness in Jesus' name. This morning, if you placed your faith in Christ Jesus, I want to invite you to make that known. Come up and tell me. Just say, hey, look, I trust in Christ Jesus today. There's a card on your worship guide. Maybe you can make that known on there as well. But guys, we serve a great and awesome God. Let's let Him be God in our lives. When you are inviting people into the family, what you're really doing is introducing them to your Father. Think of it that way. Can I introduce you to my dad? Can I introduce you to my father who has been everything to me? That's what you're doing. Father in heaven, I pray now that 
as we move into a time of decision and invitation, I ask that you would overwhelm us with your presence. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your compassion and your graciousness. Lord, what a beautiful thing to know that you have, in your, in your great love for us, extended to us an invitation to know you, to walk with you. And Father, we know that you don't let the guilty go unpunished. But God, I pray that we don't have to go to that point. I pray that we would yield to you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First Baptist Church Gold Breeze at FBC Gold